Hi, this is Michael Paul Gonzalez, editor at Thunderdome.com, and you are listening to Booked. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. Now I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Radium Girls by Amanda Gowan. Uh, regular guest, I guess on, you could say, for our podcast. And here's a little bit about her from the back of the book. Amanda Gowan lives in the foothills of Appalachia with her husband and son. Her work has appeared in various publications online and in print, including the anthologies Warmed and Bound, Burnt Tongues, and the upcoming Exigencies. She's a lover of horses, toads, twins, and cotton candy, and never met a jack-in-the-box not conspiring against her. She is currently completing her first novel, Boxing Day. She has always written and always will. Now, something... something's missing there. Yeah, you know, Amanda was... um, she was a contributor... To the book anthology, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah I'm trying to was. remember. I don't yeah, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think she did a little thing called short tendon. The only thing I can imagine of why how that did not make it into her bio is that she just assumes that's where everybody knows her from. So it's like the obvious thing. She didn't you don't have to yeah. mention it because it's so obvious. Yeah, like okay, so like like David Letterman's bio <laughs> probably doesn't mention the late show with David Letterman because where the fuck else would you know him from, right? right. You're giving her a oh, lot of yeah. lot of credit here. Yeah, like Lou Gehrig. You know, when they talk about him, they probably don't mention <laughs> that the disease. <laughs> they probably it's probably not in his bio. Well, if it's an actual biography, it probably gets brought up, but not like his bio. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll have to maybe we'll have to dig into this a little bit. Here is um, a fairly succinct synopsis of, of this book, though, of Radium Girls. Love, death, addiction, twins, cicadas, strippers, murderers, children, castles, zombies, Pomeranians, silver limbs. Mental institutions, trailer parks, time travel, Appalachia, conversations, memories, lies. That's um interesting. <laughs> yeah, this is this is um they, yeah. well, like I said, to be fair, um that did take a lot longer to read than I thought it was going to. Um, but that covers um that that covers most of what this book is about. That's very true. Now um, this is a book review, and it's a review of a collection of short stories. If you haven't heard us do a review of a uh, collection of stories before, we go through a pretty general format where we each choose some of our favorite stories and talk briefly about them, and then you know respond to each other's um, you know choices. And if possible, we like to name a winner of the book. Now, this is going to be just a little bit different because there are fifteen total contributions to the book including a uh, a novella so the typical anthology format we go is three of each and a in a, a, a winner and we're probably going to trim that down just a little bit because the novella took up so much space and there's not as many stories as we usually get all right so my first um standout story that i'd like to to mention is a story called teetotaler which is um it's about a guy who's in a recovery group Although um, he's not necessarily in the recovery group for the reasons we think him to be when the story starts. Yeah, this is going to be a story that we have to seriously dance around because the reveal is a major part of why the story is so great. But um, I agree it was a very good story um, and kind of a different look at um, recovery and being addicted to something I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's... um I, I think a lot of this this um, collection has kind of a, a a certain similar feel between the stories, and this one I think steps outside of that a little bit, um, which maybe is why it, it stood out to me a little bit. But I just thought it was very very well thought out and and very very well written. Yeah, Amanda tends to have like a um, kind of a stark and very real um, kind of style to her writing, and this is. A little bit more of a traditional like crime fiction piece almost. So, yeah, it did kind of stand out a little bit. Um, but she does have a bit of a range. It's not like she just writes the same thing over and over again. And um, a great example of that is my first standout story, which is Trot Lines. Um, we have talked about it on the podcast before. It was uh, uh, published in Menacing Hedge. 
a while back and we talked about it a little bit there so I'm not going to go too far into it but uh, it's essentially a story that takes place um, after the initial phase of like the uh, zombie apocalypse end of the world situation and it's basically a look at um, some teens or young adults or I guess people who have just gone into their early 20s young people and their bored kind of rural life after uh, most of the world has kind of just gone away. Yeah, I really enjoyed the story when I first read it quite some time ago. Um, and yeah, you know, e- even rereading it again this past week, um, all those zombie stories um, for me have kind of, uh, I don't know, kind of run their course. It was still refreshing to read this kind of very different take on the on the zombie story. Yeah, for sure. You know what I always I kind of thought of too. What's that? What was that movie? Forrest Gump, right? Um, is that the one where the two teenagers find a zombie girl in a basement? Is that Forrest <laughs> that one's Gump? Called Dead Girl. Dead Girl. But yes, now that you say that, yes. <laughs> I always get those two mixed up. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tom Hanks is in both of them, which is why <laughs> he plays the dead girl so too, which is really weird. But yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's that's the thing is that I've read uh, apparently I, I online stalk Amanda Gowan because I've read a bunch of these stories before. <laughs> and I kind of was like, I don't really want to talk about ones we talked about. So I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I really enjoyed that one, um, too. Uh, in which case, I will. I will mentioned the cabbage muse, which I read. And I sorry, because I don't seem to have my notes in front of me on where it originally appeared. But um, the Cabbage Muse was uh, was another definite standout story in this that I'd read previously. Um, no, it's it's Gawain writes these like kind of weird, almost modern day. It's and I can't <laughs> give you a, a good example, but there have been short stories and there have been movies where they've taken like a classic fairy tale, but tried to tell it in a very realistic way today, like kind of modern day Cinderella type thing. Mm hmm. She does that, but like for for slightly crazy people, and that's what the, the Cabbage Muse is about. It's about a crazy girl who um, shows up uh, repeatedly in this boy's life, um, and it's just about a night where she shows up at his house, and they kind of go on a little mini adventure. Um, but something about it gives it a very kind of fairy taleish feel, even though it's not at all supernatural or anything. Yeah, that's a. It's it's nice that you mentioned that because the next one I'm going to talk about kind of goes into that type of a feel too. Um, but yeah, Cabbage Muse was good, uh, and it's it's toward the beginning of the the book, so that's a nice introduction to just like how really weird and um, I think whimsical is a good word for the the way that Amanda writes. Um, it's very intelligent and and she's got a lot of talent, but it can just kind of kind of flit around like a butterfly or something. It's kind of you know what I'm saying, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she doesn't uh tie herself down to what you know the the style that people traditionally write in well and if, and if you're friends with her at all online you'll know that this is exactly how she um <laughs> this is just how she is i mean half of these stories read like kind of a longer facebook post in some cases of hers specifically which isn't a bad <laughs> thing normally you would say like she's She's like the female David James Keaton. <laughs> I was thinking a lot about this while while we while I was reading this book and 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 in thinking about her as you know as a friend of the show and and on social media and stuff. She, she's she's got the whatever whatever ailment David James Keaton has. Uh, I I think it's kind of the same one Amanda Gowan's got, and that that makes it you know. And and again, I said ailment, but whatever it is, is what it's what makes those two awesome is kind of that they're not tethered to any kind of traditional kind of like communication format if that makes mm-hmm. sense like like you said she's not tied down to anything in particular well if it's not an ailment it's probably a quality um no i'm pretty sure this is an illness all right yeah. well do you want are you, you know, ready dustin, to get... dustin hoffman and rain man you know how yeah. he was lovable because of his ailment that's gotcha. that's how these two are are you get are you ready to get a little freaked out I was kind of jumping through our uh, interview with Amanda back when we did Warmed and Bound interviews, and there was a moment in there that I just happened to to stop on that I didn't think much about until you just said this, but 
she was talking about movie. We were talking about movies or something, and she mentioned a bunch of movies in a row. And you're like, that's just like as if David James Keaton were on the episode. So, I think there you've you had go. that. I think you've had that feeling for a long time. That could very well be. Um, all right. So my second, my next uh, uh, standout story I want to talk about is, uh, I don't know if it's more. It's more of a play. Uh, it's called Hollow Creatures, and it's kind of co-written. And it almost feels like it's kind of a work in progress between her and H.R. Tardif. Um, it's essentially... I don't really know how to, to frame the story. So instead, I'm just going to talk about what I thought was so cool about it. Was um, it, it, it came off as almost like a conversation thread you'd see online. And um, almost like a yes and or like, a, like an exquisite corpse kind of format where um, one person would say something and then the 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 other person would build on that and then it would just get built upon back and forth and um it was it, it was chaotic because of that but at the same time um there was such a concentrated amount of like the talent thrown into these little bits that um you could really get like a, a like these little short bursts of really really well written sentences uh, amidst all this kind of chaos of two people just kind of kind of doing things um almost as like a flight of fancy. So um, I thought that was really cool. And it was uh, just after the intro at the beginning of the book. So uh, it's kind of a strong way to start it, I thought. Yeah, I have to agree. It um, And it's credited later as a conversation between the two of them. And again, I'm pretty sure that just happened in email or Facebook or, or whatever. <laughs> and it's probably very little editing um, involved to tell that to tell that particular story. But uh yeah, again, I guess that, yeah, that definitely had a, the, the fairy tale thing going on, too. Um, but yeah, very, very entertaining and, and something that um, I also believe is credited later in the book as something that um, is a work in progress, right? That's going to be continued. Yeah. When if she, I'm not mistaken. Yeah, when she's talking about, when she credits um, previously published uh, stuff, including Short Tendon, um she says that they're they're currently working on it, and you'll see more or something like that. So there you have um, each of us uh, two two standout stories. Um, it was very easy to agree on the um, anthology or collection winner um, in this one, um, partially just based on on um, how great this story is, um, and the fact that it's kind of the the focal point of the whole book, um, as it's much much longer. It's a more of a, a novella than a short story. It's called The Pink Manatee. And now we've known Amanda for easily three-ish, three years now, probably just right that around three years. And in that time, we've really only been exposed to Amanda's short stories. And so uh, you never, I mean, you can admire a writer's work, but going from short stories to a longer piece uh, is almost like transferring to a new medium. So you don't really know what to expect until you get something. And the Pink Manatee being a longer piece is essentially a nice introduction to what we can expect when uh, she works on longer pieces, like she mentioned in her her biography, the uh, the upcoming Boxing Day novel. So um, it was a really strong piece of work and obviously um, took up a bunch of the book, but it was also just, I think, of, of, the, of all the stories in there, definitely the strongest, uh, strongest and most well-written. Yeah, it's... Um think it picks up with that kind of fairy tale feel that i was talking about earlier um it reminded me a little bit of um and and i'm gonna mention this and and i tried after reading that story to to rewatch this movie assuming that you know with a hulu subscription or a netflix subscription or just access to the internet in general i'd be able to find the movie maniacs um, which is a 2001 film about two serial killers that fall in love although that's not what happens here it had that same kind of feel. Have you ever seen the movie? No. Oh, it's a goddamn brilliant movie. <laughs> you know, it's got like all of like three stars on IMDb. But yeah, it takes place in a mental institution and um, just had that same kind of feel. And so at any rate, um, yeah, I loved, loved the Pink Manatee. Now, all right, here's, here's what I'm going to call Amanda to task on that. I, although Pink Manatee makes perfect sense in the um, scope of the book or of the, the novella, like why it's called that. I still didn't like it as a title. I didn't think it was fair to the story. I agree with that. Um, I think it's a cute title, but it's one of those situations, kind of good sex, great prayers style, where um, it doesn't quite one hundred percent line up with like the kind of the overall punch of the story. 
And and that's it. Oddly, that's exactly what what came to mind is the fact that we are now goddamn title critics. That's our actual new <laughs> new title for what we do. Like you, you let us read your stuff, and we'll tell you if your title's any good or not. <laughs> yeah. All right. And one of the things that um, I'd like to be able to talk about, but I can't because no one gave me a print copy of the book, even though there is one for me, um, is how the book looks. Yeah, Rob, let me talk about that because I have two copies of the print <laughs> book. <laughs> mine, all mine, both of them. Um, Amanda was nice enough to send us copies, signed copies too. It's it signed, Rob. Unlike some authors who send them and don't sign them, I have two signed copies of the book. One of them is made out to you. I just haven't gotten around to seeing you. So, mm-hmm. um, very, very pretty design. I'm going to um, kind of forego talking as much about the cover because you can see that for yourself right on Amazon. Um, and I don't know, maybe you'll even see it in the link to this, you know, this review. But um, a little bit like um, the new black with kind of stuff going on on the inside, um, there are different pictures at the beginning of each um, of each chapter. Um, for example, I just opened to the short story Fever, which is about uh, involves um, strippers. And there are little little icons of strippers, you know, with a stripper pole. And like right across from that is a, a drawing of a of a doormat, and underneath would say, "What would the mat outside your door say?" <laughs> or you know, I flip back to another one, and there is just a suitcase where it tells you to color the suitcase blue. So I mean, there's a lot going on inside of this. Every story has something attached um, to it, including a, a pink uh, a pink and uh, pink mat. Well, I guess it's not pink. It's a manatee <laughs> that you can color pink if you'd like. Um, it says to color the manatee pink. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff graphically going on inside this book. Um, unlike the clip art in the Rick Springfield book that we recently reviewed. Wow, good. I didn't like that clip art at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I just noticed this. I actually read a digital copy because you know me. Um so when you take a book and you're about to like thumb through it, you know, you have to like kind of stick your finger in the back of it to, to make it into a U. Mm-hmm. Um, this, when you do that, uh, it actually creates a, a manatee on the side of the book. Not only does it do that, if you flip it over it and do it backwards, it does it again, like upside down. Yeah, I can't. I don't even know how this gets published this way. Like it would almost <laughs> seem like someone had to take. No, I'm serious. Like someone had to take an actual copy of the book, draw a manatee. I know this isn't how it worked, but it worked through some <laughs> kind of magic. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know how you would actually get that to line up in like, yeah, I don't know, whatever, Adobe program, whatever you make books in. So it's really cool. <laughs> Adobe book program. <laughs> yeah, Adobe. Isn't that what it's called? It's Adobe book Adobe, program. Adobe make books. <laughs> <laughs> make booker. Um, yeah. Actually... Um, it, so that's similar to what happened with the Cypher Sisters book, uh, where you bend the book like that, and um, on one side it says like "Where is my sister," and the other side it says something else. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Very cool. Thunderdome Press is doing some really unique book layout. That's for sure. Very, very, very much so. So, anyway, you ready to to do a quick wrap up before we move on to our next segment? Yeah. Um, I'll I'll just start it off. Like I said, Amanda Gowan has been a friend of the podcast for three years. We've known her a long time. We've published her. She's been on for interviews. She co-hosted um, the Fifty Shades of Grey episode, which is one of our most popular episodes. Um, she's just a long time and very dedicated uh, friend of ours. And uh, when it turned out they were going to have a and same with Thunderdome Press, and when they uh, announced that they were going to have a book out, it was a no-brainer. We were going um, to do a uh, talk about it on the podcast. Amanda's one of those people that you don't see a lot of, and she's not a big self-promoter, so um, she's kind of a hidden gem in a lot of ways. But um, taking and taking the time to actually sit down and read her stuff is definitely worth the effort because um, she's just got such a unique perspective. And I think that the contrast between her kind of whimsical nature... And the really powerful stuff she can write really makes you realize how intelligent she really actually is. Um, a lot of the stories in here, uh, actually only just a few of the stories in here I've read before. And I, I really honestly think that The Pink Manatee is a tour de force. It's a really, really great story. Um, and it's 
it's encouraging to see because I know that she is going to be able to handle uh, longer form stories as well, uh, not just you know dwelling in the short story realm. So really excited about the book, and I dug it a lot. I'm going to give it four stars. Yeah, um, I'm going to echo... I'm actually not going to. I agree with everything Rob said, so I'm going to kind of leave some of those things out. Um, you know, I, I some listeners, I know Rob has gathered this. Like, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the drawer. So there are a lot of times where I read short stories or sections of various stories. I'm like, yeah, I don't get it. And there were a couple of those stories in here. The difference is that they were so well written in a line-by-line line fashion that I, I didn't even care as much. Like, they're still really good and still worth reading, if that makes sense. Um, she's totally able to kind of capture a feel that I really, really like. I can almost call like modern adult fairy tale or, or something along those lines. Um, love the pink manatee. Um, totally wanted um, more, more of those characters that appeared in that story as well as in other stories. But that one, um, I would totally read the novel that that, you know, if that was an excerpt from a novel, I would totally be sold on reading 300 pages of, of, about that. I'm definitely looking forward to more of Amanda's um, longer form work, and I'm going to give it um, four and a half stars. All right. Uh, so I think that's enough of us talking about the book and about Amanda. Uh, we're actually going to take a little time. We asked her to come on and uh, defend herself and again, all of our negative, terrible accusations. And so um, without further ado, here is Amanda Gowan. Amanda, thanks for taking some time to come on and talk to us about Radium Girls. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, Rob, you want to kick off with this first and very important question that we had already uh, kind of mentioned earlier in the episode? Yeah, we, we okay. usually, here's the thing. We usually always uh, let the author start by explaining their own work a little bit after we kind of cut it apart. But we're not even going to do that right now because you have some answering for. Um, Uh-oh. This is the, the million-dollar question. How dare you not mention the book anthology in your bio on your book? You approved my bio. I sent you my bio. I sent you my bio, Rob. You know, I sent it to you, and I had you read it. And I said, how does this look? Is it too long? Is it wrong? And you, you could have brought this up then. I, I, I was to trying you... to like make it like the right length and like just mention a couple of things and not sound too braggy, but, you know, put some things in that were coming up. And... I tried so hard to make that bio perfect and then, you know, I put some cotton candy in there so it wasn't too serious and, you know, still you're giving me shit. All right. I have to give you credit. You did, you did seek my, uh, my counsel. I mm -hmm. must have, I totally forgot about that to be completely honest. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's my fault. Um, I had all the power yeah, and I didn't do anything with it. You. Yeah. You could have just said, <laughs> Why don't you throw this in there? I think this would make it better. And I would have been like, okay, and put it in there. So. Well, now, Livia's had a great uh, theory, and that mm -hmm. was that um, you were so um, well-known from it that you felt like everybody already knew and you didn't have to put it in the bio anyway. That was why I originally didn't put it in there. Okay. And then um, <laughs> I assumed that you knew that, and that was why you didn't suggest that I put it in there when I asked if you had any suggestions. You too. That's okay. I have uh, I've already emailed uh, Michael Paul Gonzalez of Thunderdome Press, and he is recalling all print editions um, just to fix <laughs> this one error um, on the back page. So, should so. I just write it in? I mean, I can <laughs> write it in the back. <laughs> I'm gonna actually take. Um, I'll do that. I'll do that now. Let's... I'm gonna okay, fill in the manatee with um with the just gonna say the book anthology over and over again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's all do. Yeah, so if you have a defective copy of Radium Girls, you can return that to Amanda Gowan. <laughs> just somewhere just in a don't press and tell them that you're going to need them to pick up the shipping on that one. <laughs> At any rate, um, I was thinking it would be a little different, and, and Rob and I talked about the feel of this book a lot. So, you know, it, it's a bunch of short stories, um, one novella. I don't know that, you know, telling people about the collection is important, but what do you, what kind of feel do you think you weren't, I, I let me rephrase this. I don't get the feeling you were going for a feel because I know these stories were written over a great period of time, you know, so some of them from before we knew you, some very recently, um, what kind of feel do you think you captured with Radium Girls? 
I tried to find like a theme like after everything was all put together like because I knew what felt like it fit like when I was putting it all together and you know I wanted this and I wanted that and I want this little piece and I will not leave this piece out but um time like time seemed to be like a major issue like in all the stories like even you know whether it's dealing with like the science fiction stuff or the twin stories which it turned out there were five stories that <laughs> featured twins and that was just like apparently I really like to write about twins um but everyone no matter what time period seems to be connected by being sort of preoccupied by time and how to fill time and I think that's everybody in the world anyway is sort of thinking about time all the time speaking of we only have a few more minutes to uh to talk to you I'm totally kidding. Um, <laughs> a thought that came to me is, um, uh, I think, and I, I'm try, can't, I won't be able to do justice to how Craig Walwork uh, describes your writing, but um, it, it's kind of stark and very real. Um, and then I was thinking to myself, did these all happen kind of in the same area? Because if so, I don't really know if I want to visit that area. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, do you have like um like uh, a setting that inspires you, or do you um just kind of create in your mind? It's all here. It's all like the Appalachian area in my mind. Even if it's even if it isn't in the context of the story, like that's not what it's called. But like it all sort of draws from the people and the landscape and just the vibes of the way people handle things, I think. Like, so I think Appalachia is kind of the setting, like even like, um, the story that was in the book, the anthology, um, short tendon, the Evans collective, which was the name of the village or town where it took place. Like I just named that after like a strip mall, like here (laughs) in the town where I live, that's called the Evans center. And I was like, well, you know, that's what I pictured was that strip mall. So I just called the town that. So, like, it's all kind of rooted here. Are those actual, like, crickets we get here in the background? (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, because then when there's silence, there's actually crickets. There was a thunderstorm. Oh, And, like, all the lightning bugs are out. Like, and, like, it smells like honeysuckle here. So it's, like, really nice right now, actually. It's, like, post-storm. Um, I, I you happy, said happy June evening. <laughs> I'm just when, surprised you can't hear my dog barking. I have a five pound chihuahua, and I was like, I don't know if he's gonna let me do this because he's gonna hear me talking to myself. Um, Rob, did you get the feeling after she had said that all of the kind of the settings in her mind are kind of you know local to her? That it's just a bunch of like crazy twin strippers in her, <laughs> her area. Some of them may be zombies or have yeah. fake limbs. Yeah. That's yeah. how I got it. It's true. We, I mean, we got a lot of meth here. We got a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> Did, all right. And one thing I just thought of is I don't remember reading the word llama even once, um, which was kind of surprising. Did I miss it? Was it in there somewhere? I, I don't. I don't think that it was. Mm-mm. That's, uh, I don't know what to think about that. I don't think that, like, I think there's so, there are so many llamas in the background, like, of my real life <laughs> that I look and see <laughs> that, like, I don't mention them much in the same way that I don't mention, like, spoons. <laughs> or the book anthology. <laughs> Such an obvious, like, part of the backdrop. Right, exactly. I don't mention llamas, spoons, or the book anthology because it's just like prevalent to like my the background of my life. Yeah, there were a lot of implied llamas in the stories, though. I saw them. Yeah, it was it was always implied that they were there. They were just never mentioned by name. Yeah, they just peek over the edges of the fences. I mean, that's what they do. You don't need to like mention them. They're right there. All right. So you had mentioned that there is um, there's an intro. I don't I mean, like I had it listed in our notes as kind of an intro of sorts. The truth um, percentage wise, percentage wise, what percentage of this book is rooted in truth? Oh, most of it. That's really hard, like percentage wise, because I mean, most of these people are based on real people or like 
mashups of real people and then you pull this little thing that happened then and this other thing that happened here and then you put it together and you make it into a new thing but those things were true before you put them together and changed it around so so it wasn't just you repurposing x-files plots like i've seen you write in a book that no one's ever going to read right <laughs> no, but that needs to be done more often, and I would do that as like a career if that were an option. <laughs> <laughs> you also mentioned. I'm, a little, or, I'm sorry. Are you say there are there are direct true things in here. There are things that are just retellings of actual things that have happened, and then there are things that have been pulled and repurposed, and sort of Frankensteined together, and you know, brought to life in that way. And you kind of go into a little bit of detail of that with your um, pilfering life, I think it's called, when you're, uh, the thing mm-hmm. at the very back of the book, when you're, uh, uh, it's a message to Craig Walwork, Craig Walwork, um, which I thought was kind of. <laughs> yeah, you have to say it correctly or it gets like all like crazy. He gets all like British upset, which is like, well, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> so that was kind of interesting to read too. I like it when, um, in addition to stories, you get a little insight into either inspiration or, um, like you get you talk to Scott Phillips anytime, like in real life or anything, and he's just going to tell you everything that inspired something about his story. And for me, it's like, um, it's like uh, behind the scenes information. I think it's really fun. Right. Um, so we talked a little bit about so without without divulging anything. Tell us about what inspired the Pink Manatee, because I completely fell in love with that story. Um, I saw him. I saw Max from that story, like, in real life. Um, I was actually, like, we were driving down the highway, and there was, like, a side street next to the highway, and I could see that street, like, the backs of all of these houses and the backs of these garages. And I saw a guy walk out of the garage and around the front of the car and he had on the white t-shirt and the jeans and he looked up into the sun and it just sort of like burned itself like into like my every cell and I just (laughs) saved that image for like years and years and years like just you know and I see it perfectly now and I know that it's changed in my memory and you know maybe it was nothing like that and you know maybe there was no manatee like what looked like a manatee on the side of that building but at the moment that moment it did and um, I won't look at that street now because I'm afraid that it's not what it really looks like, you know, because it's perfect in my mind. Like, I really did see that. So, like, I just kind of held that image until, like, different things came together and I was able to use him because I knew he was important. You know, that's it's not the answer I expected because I totally expected it to be about Bridget. Yeah. But, you know, what? somehow that answer is much cooler than kind of, what I thought it might be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, it's about something totally different. Like the inspiration isn't what I thought it was going to be. So yeah, I, you know, we had to also discuss briefly, um, we didn't think like understand the pink manatee title for that story, but how it didn't really fit the story. Um, which is us just being picky about titles and, you know, um, author bios and stuff like we tend to do. Um, but um oh, it's because we're important important uh opinion we have a, important opinions and we're taste makers and people care what we say right so we're gonna let yes. that go so to i our didn't heads. have an actual question there i just wanted to point out <laughs> oh i thought you were just like i, I thought yeah. you were acting superior yeah exactly i just wanted to tell you that we didn't like the title of that story that's all that's all i love the title of that story and i love the, the manatee i love it it's preposterous it doesn't make any sense i mean but kind of perfect <laughs> but like yeah i mean what you were saying about like the it being about bridget um the idea was to kind of the way i felt that moment sure. when i saw that person that didn't fit like in within the world like to try to figure out how to distill that like feeling that like experience into like something in so i guess it was you know you put yourself in the place of the viewer and to describe it with her eyes you know well i will say that one of the most uh vivid scenes in the in the story was when she first sees him in the garage for sure that was it was very um tactile it was very you know 
vivid. I carried that, like I carried that scene like for a long time. I, I thought this was going to be like a huge novel because I thought that like I didn't have like I, I you get like obsessed with like word counts after a while. People tell you that things either have to be like short or they have to be really long. And like I worked on this like off and on for probably like five years because I put it away because I couldn't understand what size it wanted to be as a piece and then I just finally went I just I, I just want to write it I don't care like whatever I just I'm going to finish it and do it how I want I'm focusing on the wrong things and it ended up being like novella size and I was like oh that's why I couldn't you know get through it and finish it because I was just trying to figure out things to fill it up mm. and make it longer because novels are supposed to be really long apparently by definition <laughs> I think people well, take that I mean, too far though but I mean, think about Fahrenheit 451. It's really not very long. I mean, I think it's a more recent phenomenon. Like people think they got to get up yeah. to four or five hundred pages. In reality, like so, like a lot of the classics really aren't super long. Like right. One eighty to two fifty. That's like a perfect size book, if you ask me. Yes, I think so too. I think you're getting it right, and you're leaving in the right parts and taking out the right parts you can do that and i can say that at the same time that saying that like i love moby dick and infinite jest like <laughs> they're like so long and so <laughs> rambly and i think that they're perfect and then go books are too long fahrenheit 451 is like the perfect length of a book these are going to seem like unrelated um questions to anything to you <laughs> but listeners will understand have you seen a movie called dead girl no <laughs> how about a movie called maniacs ACTS at the end. No. Okay. And there you go. That's it. No follow up on that. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, there are movies that came up when we were talking about these stories, and both of them are kind of, I, I, I imagine, little known kind of indie weird movies. So, speaking of titles that we're judging people about, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at the title for the book, uh, Radium Girls? I'm obsessed with the word radium, and it's like, <laughs> this is like the dumbest answer like how to come up with a book title um i really like jeopardy like I, lo I love jeopardy and i almost always get the final jeopardy question right because the final jeopardy question is not an answer like it's not something that you need to know it's a puzzle and if you can figure the puzzle out then you can get it right like it has all of the pieces there like you don't you don't have to like know anything about like it's like taking like standardized testing like you don't have to actually know anything about the information on the tests if you can figure out the little puzzles they've made of the questions but like i almost always get the final jeopardy question right and like the most random jeopardy final jeopardy question i ever got right the answer was radium and my husband is a chemist chemistry and physics like that's what he majored in and like um like the only thing i can compare it to like this is gonna sound so crazy but like i listened to the clue and it was like da -da 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 -da, something the most valuable element something something and then all of this information and like um did you have you read like hannibal like the last in, in this like series that counts <laughs> yes i i did yes <laughs> Okay. Okay. Do you remember the part where Clarice Starling like talks about like all the doors like lining up and opening and she like asks him that one question and that's when he decides he's not going to kill her, but is in fact in love with her. They, and then they do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> okay. I remember the doing it part. That's really what stuck in my mind. <laughs> well, that was like what it felt like when I knew that the answer was radium. And I was like, radium, like with no hesitation. Like I knew like the universe had like given me the word radium, like radium. I knew it was the word. And, you know, so like, and then, you know, it came up. Everybody got it wrong. I got it right. My husband, the chemist, had no idea what it was. And he was just like, how did you know that? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so like then i was like i, I want to know what radium is <laughs> so, like, I, so like i looked it up and i started reading things about like um all the things that have to do with you know things that are toxic and kill you in small doses and then i eventually looked up the radium girls like the women that you know used to paint on the dials and it was just such a romantic like idea that like 
these beautiful women doing these this uh, delicate work, you know, were just slowly over time like poisoning themselves. And just that idea and then just the phrase radium girls, like I like the way it all sounded together. And I just kind of stored that for a really long time. That was another thing I held on to for a long time. Okay. So Jeopardy, that's the answer. Jeopardy is always the answer. What is yeah. Jeopardy? <laughs> Sorry. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, so when you say he's a chemist, you mentioned um, earlier, do you mean he makes meth, right? Is that? <laughs> no, he's not like the kind of chemist. <laughs> oh, okay. I just. He's not an Appalachian chemist. Okay. <laughs> he's like, no, he, he doesn't do that anymore. He was getting really sick. He was working for like a, I can't talk about any of that stuff. Um, <laughs> this is one of those questions where it's like, it's going to get X-Files. I can't tell you anything about this, but he, he's not a chemist anymore. Um he was working for a place and he's not working for them anymore. Um, and he's a lot healthier now. So I can't. <laughs> they let him out of that trailer where he had to make all the mess. <laughs> you can't talk about it. I'll talk about it. Like, I've seen, I've seen uh bad. I know how that works. <laughs> it's more like a uh, lab coat and like test. Gosh, yes, yes, yes. We got yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> My husband doesn't cook meth. <laughs> He's the <sighs> one that's making like human and animal hybrids. So that's <laughs> a different branch of science that wouldn't be chemistry. Unless they're like, I don't know, cooking them up. Anyway. <laughs> Probably not All the right. case. So yeah, here's, here's a good time. Here's a good time to change the subject. So we hear you're in this little uh, Burnt Tongues anthology that's coming up. Yeah, it's this tiny little thing that, like, um, you know, just kind of might, you know, slip into the atmosphere sometime this summer, and maybe people will notice it. But it's like a huge deal. Like, <laughs> this is like the biggest <laughs> thing. Like, I'm like never gonna like, like, this is gonna be the biggest thing. Like that my name will ever be on. Like, and I don't mean that in, like a mean way. Like, I'll write forever. I don't. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, I'll keep writing books for you know, until I'm dead. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be big. It's August, and um, Chuck Palahniuk, Richard Thomas, Dennis Widmeyer, they put the whole thing, you know, the editing and stuff. And there are twenty stories in it, and somehow mine is one of them. And it's being translated into other languages, and it's gonna be in other countries. And like there are other cool people in it, and still kind of shocking and. It's very, very cool. And, of course, this is just something that came together real quick over, like, the last, like, few months, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, like, that was the first story I ever workshopped in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been working, at, was... like, it's been cooking for a long, long, stupid long time, right? Yeah, like, I I didn't know it was going to happen, like, when I was in the workshop. Like, I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently it was, like, a rumor from several years before and then later on became a rumor again, and then it was one of those things, and then they say 75 years later, two or three, um, they say, oh, I'm just in the story, and it's a finalist, and then you don't hear anything forever, and there were, like, a thousand times where I almost submitted that story to other places and i was just like i don't know if it was like laziness like or providence or like a cross between like laziness and providence lazy providentialness um that kept me from just <laughs> putting that story somewhere else but i'm glad that i didn't because it did it sat for you know a couple of years and i think all of the stories did just sit and they waited and they waited and so, now it's all beautiful i was expecting you to give us all like the dirt you know like all the the like the angst and stuff that happened behind the scenes and you didn't you were just really happy about it i didn't really have any angst i was like i i didn't like <laughs> there was no real angst it was like every once in a while i'd be like huh it's been a long time should i submit that story to something else and then i would forget mm. And then eventually I got like a, hey, I'm going to use the story. And I was like, that's awesome that I did not follow through on any of those plans. <laughs> <laughs> to be more efficient about my submissions and keeping track of things. So we know you submitted that story when you were like six years old. But do you remember what it's about? <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yes. Um, two people meet. And there you have it, Amanda. Everybody. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. <laughs> big I don't there. like. I mean, you know, it's. I. I think it's kind of a love story, like sort of maybe. But I mean, you just read like what I consider a love story, so maybe you know. I don't. I write love stories all the time. I think they're love stories. So you've read some of those in this book. So you know what my love stories are like. Maybe the people in it are violent. Maybe they're surprised that they find each other. Maybe Bobby Darren is involved. <laughs> Maybe. Have you um, had the opportunity to read other stories in the book or that are going to be published, I guess I should say? Um, uh, yes, a lot of them. I think I've read a lot of them. A lot of them were being workshopped at the same time that I was um, in the workshop when it was still where it was back when it was 2000. Nine, ten, eleven. I don't. I don't have any idea what year things happen. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of a lot of the stories. Um, I think probably one of my favorites is Invisible Graffiti. It's by Adam Skrupskis. I think that's how you say his last name. Um, I loved that story. Like it's like one of the ones I remember like most vividly being workshopped at that time because I remember thinking that like he didn't write like most of the other people that we're writing there because if you stay in a workshop too long, I mean, you can't stay in a workshop too long or you just start to become, you know, everybody becomes the same writer. Um, and I remember like being afraid for him, like the, Oh, you know, I hope he doesn't stay in this workshop too long. And they tell him to cut too many things because he kind of like has like a weird little wandering way of telling things. So like, I really liked that story and I should have a list, I suppose, of like people that are in there. Uh, like a table of contents or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> but I, like I said, like I, I was trying to like make notes, and I, I found ruby slippers on the internet, and I didn't know you could order those, so I didn't <laughs> make a list. You weren't even shopping for shoes. It was something else that sounds similar, so it's funny that you got those. Yeah, and, like, and I did, like, made make notes, like, for this, but, like, they don't make any sense. Like, I don't know what they mean. Like, I have, like, Where the Wild Things Are, Zelda Fitzgerald, and Bottle Rocket. Like, what is that? Like... <laughs> like those totally were, like, makes topical. sense to me. It's, like, t- like to what I thought this conversation like I don't know. Would you would you oh, like to oh, talk oh, about fireworks? Moriartica. Moriartica. <laughs> like does that sound more like okay, let me just ask you this. Does this sound more like a continent or like a fan fiction erotica genre? <laughs> this all has to do with Moriarty, right? This is all Sherlock Holmes stuff we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I would go with the uh, the uh, fan fiction erotica. So if like someone were to say Moriartica, you wouldn't say like where is that? No. Okay. All right. I it's, just wanted to because I'm pretty it. sure that's not a place. <laughs> it's the floating island on which you write erotic fiction about <laughs> classic Arthur Conan Doyle characters. It's a place in my soul. No, no, but see, that's the whole thing. She's writing it about the new one, the new one from from Sherlock, right? Specifically, yeah, that yeah, it's all it's all about Andrew Scott. Yeah, yeah. I love him. I love him <laughs> deep and scary way. <laughs> I'm aware. I I sent her a picture of the part in the the one episode where uh, Sherlock and Moriarty are about to kiss because I knew that was right up the alley. That's one of my favorite parts. Not as much as like the gum chewing stuff. Like I like. The Reichenbach Fall, like, a lot. I watched that one a lot. The episode of yeah. Sherlock that I can watch over and over again is actually the um, first episode of Series 2, the Scandal and whatever, Belgravia. I, I watch that, like, daily almost. That's the one with uh, Irene Adler, right? Oh, yeah. I think if you ask me, it, it's a perfect episode. It's a, You cannot get a better episode of television than that. That's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I think the second season I liked better than the first. It was mm-hmm. kind of perfect yeah. in that way. Yeah. I agree. I have other notes here that don't make any sense either. Oh, please, please read them out to us. We'll try to, we'll make sense of them for you. Okay. Let's see. Indie flicks. 
Yeah. Tin Man. Oh, no, these make sense. Jeopardy and Radium. I wrote that down. Nice. Tin Man, like the, the sci-fi TV show? The Zoe Deschanel? No, that was like, there was, apparently I wanted to talk about, I did a story that I didn't include that I really liked that's still up on the Thunderdome site, and it's called Tin Man. But there were just a lot of the themes that were already in there. Like, it was too similar to some of the other things that I didn't end up putting in there. Hmm. Oh, and then I found, like, the soundtrack. That For some reason, I made a soundtrack to the book. Do you want to hear what the soundtrack is? Yeah, oh, we'd love to. Of course. Okay. It's Fixing a Hole by the Beatles. And Love, Rain Over Me by the Who. And Poncho and Lefty. But it's the Gillian Welch version, not the Emmy Lou Harris version. Um, you Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Dusty Springfield. And I've Been Loving You Too Long to Stop Now by Otis Redding. So apparently that is the soundtrack for Radium Girls. Do you own any music this side of 1980? Uh, <laughs> well... My son and I have been recently exploring Billy Idol to like a great extent, and he wants like a glove with like spikes on it. Like we watched like the video for like um, White Wedding and like Dancing with Myself and Rebel Yell, and he's like, "Do they make those?" <laughs> <laughs> like, can I get? And I'm like, "Yeah, you can get one." And you know, Eric's like, "I don't." He's like six. He shouldn't have a glove with like spikes all over the necklace. And I'm like, "He he should probably have one." Like it's like we need to get more gel. He's we're going in the right direction here. <laughs> so. See, but that's I have to disagree because I think "Cradle of Love" was his was his best song. Well, that's a really good song too. Is that the one where the girl flips her hair and the and like uses the sound system? It's like, yeah, part. <laughs> it's like the greatest music video ever, possibly second to Gangnam Style. No, no. See, "Dancing with Myself" is like that one's a lot better because he's kicking homeless people off a roof for no reason like while talking about how he's going to ask everyone in the world to dance with him but at the same time he's shaking sweat off of his hair and kicking homeless people off a roof i don't know that i've ever seen the video for that (laughs) you need to see it and then you'll go oh cradle of love is not the best video why is he kicking the homeless people that are trying to climb the building while he's saying i want to ask the world to dance Uh And, like, showing off his lady tattoo on his bicep. Because, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, I'm, like, exactly the same size as Billy Idol. And I'm, like, 110 pounds. (laughs) And, like, you know, like, so I I kind of identify, you know, with with him in a lot of ways. Which (laughs) doesn't make a lot of sense. But I do. You know, I think we're kindred spirits in a way that doesn't, you know, make a lot of sense beyond, like, bleach and, like, body size. I was pretty sure that one of us would have to mention James Spader to get this far off topic. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> Billy Idol. Apparently Billy Idol is the new James Spader. Yes. Season two of Blacklist with Billy Idol. <laughs> That'd be awesome. No, see, I, I won't watch that. I'm not watching Blacklist because James Spader is frozen in like a block of amber in Secretary. And that's just the way it has to stay. Mm. Girls got convictions. Apparently, <laughs> um, right. uh, I'm at a loss for words. I, <laughs> my brain was completely wiped when you guys were really enthusiastically talking about Billy Idol. <laughs> I, I I like modern music. Yeah, Lady Gaga. Not like the new stuff, but like I mean, yeah, I mean like. Okay, so, like, maybe, like, one of her songs, like, directly influenced, like, one of the stories in Radium Girls, like, probably based on one of those songs. But it's not any of the, like, recent weird stuff. It's, like, when she was, like, fun and, like, running around in white glitter and stuff. More than the, like, the um, guy in the clouds. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that video? There's, like, a video and there's, like, a guy in a cloud. No. 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 <laughs> okay. What other notes do you have? <laughs> Something about the difference between the words anthology and collection. Um because I had something to say about that, but I don't know what it was. Sure. <laughs> like right. uh and then uh Hillary, Hillary Tardiff were putting this thing together. We're going to work on that. The Hollow Creatures I'm not sure if I'm supposed to talk about that yet. 
damn it. <laughs> so, okay, forget that I said that part. Um, yeah, every all your listeners, forget that you said that. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be awesome. And, you know, you'll hear more about that later. So, tell us what else you're working on. I am still working on Boxing Day. It turned into something different, and now I don't have to make it 700 pages long because I've discovered that I don't have to do that. I can write things to be exactly the same length. I mean, you know, or a different length or whatever length that I want them to be. So I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on this uh, new thing that I invented called Moriartica, which may or may not happen. <laughs> so we'll see. If you if you see that pop up anywhere, then even if it's not under my name, you have the heads up <laughs> who actually wrote that. <laughs> Kindle Worlds is trying to figure out how to spell that right now. <laughs> okay. I, I've actually already tried different spellings and i haven't really settled on one yet um and um there's a new online magazine called city lit rag that i'm in the process of sort of uh joining as fiction editor it's um monique lewis that does at the inkwell uh is putting together like a little uh online magazine and um, I haven't been really involved in the selections so far, but in the future, I will be helping them pick out stories. So I'll be doing that. Um, I'm going to get a blazer with patches on it so that I can wear that while I read the submissions. <laughs> does that work? Does that, does that help? I don't know. I'm going to see it on the blazer out. yet. All I right. don't know. I have I have a submitting story, and I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before, but um, because you said you're a fiction editor, the first thing I thought was, now I have to submit stuff just to make her read it, um, <laughs> which made me think of the uh, upcoming anthology exigencies that you're going to be in, um, yes. be, and, and the reason is <laughs> um, <laughs> Richard Thomas is the uh, uh, editor-in-chief of Dark House, and that's where exigencies is coming from. And when we first met Richard in conversation and everything, he offered to help us, you know, by talking, by reading his, uh, you know, any stories we'd written and, and giving us advice and everything. And he hit us with a very interesting caveat of like, you know, obviously he's a very busy man, but, he, you know, he couldn't really read anything too long. And I won't go into details about that, but um, I never, Livius and I aren't really writers, so it never came up that I needed to, you know, have Richard read anything. Um <laughs> until he became the editor of uh, a small press. <laughs> 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 and I thought to myself, well, I know I have a story I wrote, and it's definitely, you know, on the longer side for a short story. I'm going to send it to Richard just to make him read something longer than, you know, he said that he could, you know, as a friend, you know, uh, read. And I sent it in for exigencies, and it got rejected. <laughs> And um, I later told Richard about it. <laughs> I said I didn't. I didn't expect it to get in the book. I just wanted to make you read something longer of mine. So <laughs> now that I uh, have friends that are editors and stuff, I think I'm going to write stories just to submit them, so they have to read them. But I'm not expecting to get published. I think that's going to be my new thing. Now I'm not. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to review exigencies or not. But I have promised myself. Now I have read this story of Rob's. Um, and, and some other people may have too, um, but I promise to judge every story in exigencies <laughs> against the story that could have been in there. Was it topical? Cause I had to look up what exigencies meant. Before, like, I knew oh no, I it's seriously, a, it's a long, it's a long word. That's all Richard titles things. <laughs> I, know. I honestly just took a story that I had that I, that was a length that I wanted to make him read and sent it. I didn't care about how close it fit. Yeah. So. That's what. I, yeah, that's, that's how I am to my friends. <laughs> I only do that to friends. So get prepared. You're going to be reading a lot of stuff that I write now. Now that I know that you're a fiction editor. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, send it all. I'll read it. Oddly enough, I just looked up, and, and I'm not sure if this is going to stay there. I'm guessing that since we're reading Richard, it probably will be. But I, I have some of the upcoming titles of Richard Thomas stories. Because um, I looked up um, the top ten unusually long words, volume one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have some suggestions for story names. <laughs> Hypervitaminosis could be one. That's going to be a barn um, burner. <laughs> Gedanken experiment. 
Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. That one, thank you. <laughs> Hemid- barn burning. <laughs> Hemidemissimicwaver. Uh, I don't think I can keep reading these. Let's see. Oh, oh, I think this one's already one of them, right? Prestidigitation. There, there's already. That was the one that was in Shivers, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. So, anyway, I'm not going to go on because I don't want to expose any more of the titles of upcoming Richard Thomas stories. Yeah, this is a huge spoilers right here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's one more. Tintinabulation. I can't even say this. Tintinabulation. Yeah. Never mind. Glad, glad you <laughs> pressed on. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amanda, thanks for um, what is always a very, very entertaining. No, but I forgot. I forgot like something really important. Like, okay. I, I have notes, and like I have like this is topical. It's very topical. It's this Michael Gonzalez wallpaper. Go, go on. Okay, I, I'm intrigued. Okay, you have physical copies of Radiant Girls, correct? Yes. yes. Uh, Lydia's well, has yeah, mine. I, I, I have two of them, yeah. You didn't... No, I haven't seen Rob yet. I didn't want to do this to you in, in conversation yesterday. I didn't want to play the dead friend card. But I had a friend die last week, oh, which is man. why we had to wait this long to do this. Because I couldn't finish the book because I was busy attending like funeral type stuffs. Well, now I feel like, yeah, bad you know, about I, that. Really, like, huge sigh that I just a sigh of disappointment. Yep, yep, I know, I know. That's why I was like, I didn't want to play this card, but uh, now I'm going to because I figure I've only got about a week that I can do that where people care, and after that, they're like, yeah, whatever. So, and now I'm going to edit the podcast um, so it sounds like you did that huge sigh after you found out about the friend. <laughs> but the Michael Gonzalez, the wallpaper thing. Okay, Radium Girls, the book is beautiful. Like it's gorgeous like it's like it's got stuff and it's green and I wanted it to be kind of glowy and it is and like Mike makes beautiful books like Thunderdome makes beautiful books Mm -hmm. like they do and the whole reason that wallpaper is like mentioned like that's the note is because like there was like a long process of like figuring out like what this book was going to look like and like my main contribution to like how it ended up turning out so beautifully was just sending him like pictures of like wallpaper from the 1960s and like going like this, but not (laughs) like, think about this. It's like, it'd be like something that was like purple with like a gold print of like lobsters on it. Like, like, do you see this? Like this, so like this, but not like this. And like eventually, you know, he comes up with like what it looks like now, and it's gorgeous. And I can go, yeah, that's that's what I meant. Like it's perfect. <laughs> wow. So like I just have to say, you know, like Mike is awesome to like work with, and he makes beautiful books, and Thunderdome makes beautiful books, and it's like amazing looking. And like when I got it in the mail, I was like, oh, and the light came in, and Billy Idol came on in the background, and Andrew Scott that plays Moriarty walked in the front door holding a box of books, and it was wonderful. That's what happened. Wow. <laughs> if only our lives were half that cool, Rob. And that was the story that you forgot to tell us. <laughs> and the llamas joined in the chorus of the backgrounds. <laughs> you know, the first time I read Trot Lines, I totally didn't get the Ted Nugent compound thing. Oh, yeah. See, I didn't want to put his whole name in there, but, I, you know, Uncle Teddy, like, he has that segment that goes Uncle Teddy's Toys or whatever, mm. like, on his show. Like, have you ever seen, like, any of his show? Like, no, insane. No, it's like, no. But, like, I mean, I learned from him. I saw one episode, and I learned how to, like, basically detesticle someone with an umbrella. So, basically, the more you know. The right. more you know. <laughs> yeah. But that could one day eventually come in handy. I just took your wrap up and made it like ten minutes long. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. That's why everybody right, loves Rob, when we have guests on because we just let people talk. It's our total. It's our idea. It's the perfect formula for the rest. All right, of it, and right? we're just going to keep Amanda on uh, through um, our couple other things we've got um, next week. Actually, let's not talk about next week. Let's talk about last week. So, um, of course, um, in between episodes, uh, we missed the birthday of 
Sean Ferguson. So, Sean, this Amanda Gowan interview is our birthday gift to you. Happy birthday, Sean. Happy birthday, Sean Z. We love you. Yep. We're not going to sing. Are we going to sing? Amanda can sing. We're not going to sing. Do you want to sing? Amanda can sing. Why can we not all sing? We did that once. It was probably, like, the worst thing that's ever happened. Wow. You guys suck. (laughs) Sorry. I mean, I hope you liked my book. Thank you for having me on Thank you for having me as a guest. Sean, uh, <laughs> Sean Ferguson, longtime friend of the podcast. Very happy birthday to you. Sorry we couldn't say it in a more timely manner. Yes, absolutely. Happy birthday to Sean Ferguson, who um, now now might be in a, in a, in third place for most guest appearances after having Amanda on again. I think maybe I don't know. Probably. Probably. I've been on like twelve times. I think. Yeah. Yep. Lots of llama talking those 12 times. So what's coming up next week, Livius? All right. Next week, we are taking a Bradium Girls goddamn broke us. So um, we're taking a week off from <laughs> reading. <laughs> and we're just going to talk about stuff. Maybe uh, maybe, maybe we can review this episode next week when Amanda's not on. We can just talk about <laughs> Amanda and things she said on this episode. I'll just call you the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you and I'll text you and your phones will be beeping in the background. <laughs> Why am I afraid that's actually going to happen? It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to doubt the uh, the uh, the follow through of Amanda. I think she's going to be busy doing something else when we... First of all, she's not going to know when we're recording. And so I think we got you. All right. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.